Really great to be together and uh, just extend my welcome to you if you're here for the first time. Great to have you with us. And uh, I thought what Simon said there about the mercy of God was just so, so important actually for all of us. I, I don't know about you, but I was just freshly overwhelmed by the sense of God's mercy. And uh, you, you may be familiar with Psalm 8. Psalm 8 starts with this cry. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And that cry is the cry of someone who understands that they've received mercy. And if you don't every once in a while say, God, who am I that you would rescue me? Who am I that you would pour such grace, such kindness, such, who am I that you are mindful of me? If you don't every once in a while have that as your heart cry, I would suggest that you've got delusions of grandeur. You see, grace has two sides to the coin. One side of the coin is I am now a new creation in Christ and he has raised me up with Christ. The other side of the coin is I was once lost without a trace. I did not deserve mercy, but he came to me. And if, and if, if grace is not amazing to you, then you maybe think that you deserve it. But mercy is God's goodness towards those that don't deserve it. Here is, here is what A.W. Tozer says about the mercy of God. I love this quote. He says, if we could remember that the divine mercy is not a temporary mood, but an attribute of God's eternal being, we would no longer fear that it will someday cease to be. Mercy never began to be, but from eternity was, so it will never cease to be. It will never be more since it is itself infinite, and it will never be less because the infinite cannot suffer loss. Nothing that has occurred or will occur in heaven or earth or hell can change the tender mercies of our God. Forever his mercy stands, a boundless, overwhelming immensity of divine pity and compassion. God is determined to look on your life with mercy, not as a temporary mood, but as an eternal attribute of his nature. I'm preaching to myself. I'm making myself happy here. I don't know about you, but your life is under the mercy of God. Scripture says that you are once deserving of wrath, but now you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. That's mercy. You know, and I love what Lamentation says. It says, his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Just, just close your eyes just for a moment and just marinate in that truth that his mercy for you today is new. His mercy, his goodness towards those who are in distress. Lord, we thank you for mercy this morning. Thank you that you came for us. Thank you that we're those who are loved by a merciful God. Though once we were lost without a trace, you found us, Father. You brought us home. Thank you, God. Thank you while we were playing with the pigs. You came running, 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 running towards us. Arms of mercy open wide. God, I thank you this morning. It doesn't matter how far some of us may feel from you. Your merciful arms are open wide this morning. And God, we run home. We run home. We run home again. God, this morning, and no matter how disqualified some of us may feel, God, we just open our arms to yours and we run home and say, Father, here we are. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for mercy. 
Just wherever you are, just thank him. Just put thanks on your own lips. Don't be passive. Just thank him. Say, Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you that you forgave my sin. Thank you you removed it as far as the east is from the west. Thank you for the power of the gospel in my life. Thank you I'm not what I once used to be. I'm now alive in Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that I'm saved. I'm saved from hell. I'm saved from death. I'm a brand new creature in you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that mercy will never cease to be. Mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. I'm never going to be able to escape the mercy of God. Even if I make my bed in the depths, I'm going to find you there. God, even if I'm in the valley, your rod and staff is going to comfort me. You're going to find me. There's nowhere I can flee from your presence. Your mercy is overwhelming. It's limitless. It's never ending. It's never, never ending. The mercy of God. Thank you that on the throne is a God of infinite, infinite mercy. We thank you, Lord. Thank you. The answer to every human heart is the mercy of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the gospel. God, let us fall in love with the gospel again. Let us fall in love with the God of mercy again. Oh, God, deliver us from going through the motions. Set our hearts on fire, we pray, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Just put a hand on your heart and just say, God, set my heart on fire. Set my heart on fire. Show me Jesus again. Show me Jesus again. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Lord, we just love your presence with us this morning. We're just so grateful for these moments, Lord, these oasis moments of being able to draw aside and be with you. Lord, thank you that you said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you and you shall bear much fruit to the Father's glory. Lord, we thank you this morning that we are bearing more fruit because of abiding in you than the best human effort could ever conjure up. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Right, well, I'm going to try and do a sermon. So here we go. So if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm just going to share a few uh, real quick thoughts with you. And uh, just to say, we are taking a one-week break from our Love Matters series. Uh, We're going to come back to it next week. Um, uh, This morning, I was going to be speaking on the issue of uh, divorce and remarriage, which is a really, really important issue uh, in our culture. And I I realize for many of us in the room, this will be an issue that we have uh, come face-to-face with somewhere in our family or in our friends. And uh, we just realized as we were talking about this issue as a team that we needed slightly longer to make sure that we do a really good job and serve you well. So we're going to come back to that subject um, at a later date because it is a really, really key one for us to look at together. But we're just going to take a pause, which has kind of been nice just to... Just say, come Holy Spirit and just meet with us this morning. And so it's been so good. So I wanted to share a few thoughts from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, this is a very, very familiar story for many of you because it's the story of David and Goliath. Just wave at me if you're familiar with this story. 
Great, very, very good. So we're just going to learn a few lessons from this story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, um, and as we come to this story, what's happened, uh, the previous chapter 4, is that uh, a young shepherd boy called David has just been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the future king of Israel. Now, it will be some 14 years until David actually wears the crown, but he has just been anointed with oil by the prophet, and he has received this commission, this assignment from God, that one day, David, you will rule over the nation of Israel. That is what's just happened uh, in the chapter before, as we come to chapter 17. And as we come to chapter 17, we find David entering into this moment where he is about to become the loudest and most influential voice in the whole nation. In other words, God is taking him from the backwaters into the public square. He's taking him from a moment of preparation and process into a moment where he is going to be the loudest voice for the Lord in the entire nation. And I want to suggest to you that God has not called the church to be an echo in the backwaters. He's called us to be a voice in the market square. In other words, the greatest days of the church are not behind us, they're ahead of us. Do you understand that when you read the Acts of the Apostles, that is an invitation to greater things? It's not a storybook to read and say, oh, look at the good old days. It's an invitation into what the church could be if we really believed who God has called us to be. This is what Jesus says of the church in Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. What does God say about you? You are the light of the world. A town set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What is Jesus saying? I've not called you to be a reflection, a reaction. I've called you to be a revolution. I've called you to be a voice that actually changes and transforms culture. And this is what's exactly about to happen to the young boy, David, as we find him in the next story. So these are just a few lessons of how do we, as a church, become a voice, not just an echo? How do we become a church that actually begins to be a force for cultural transformation? And the first key is we have to learn to be faithfully present where God has placed us. So here we go, verse 17 of 1 Samuel 17. One day Jesse, that's David's father, said to David, take this basket of roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread, and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring a report back of how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul with the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. And then we'll skip to the end of the story. Goliath comes out, begins to challenge the armies of Israel. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. There is this incredibly pregnant pause between David receiving a promise of being king and him actually wearing the crown. And in the intervening moment, he makes cheese sandwiches for his brothers. In other words, how do you become an influence? You're faithful where God has placed you. 
You do what God has called you to do in the place that he's called you to do it in the time in which he's called you to do it. You live present where you currently are. That's how you become a voice into culture. David's future promise actually had to be worked out in present reality. And I worry sometimes that we can be so future-oriented that we don't understand that your future is tethered to how you handle the present. How you handle the time in which you currently live, making cheese sandwiches. You look after the cheese sandwiches and it will turn into influence. That's how it works. So I know you may be an engineer or an architect or a gardener or a teacher or a, or a stay-at-home mom or, or whatever it might look like in your life. How does that turn into influence, cultural influence that changes people? Be faithful with what God has given you to do. Be fully present, be fully alive, be fully alert to the opportunities that God has given you where he's placed you. It's actually a really important principle of the kingdom of God that if you look after the little that God has given you, it will turn into much. That's an important kingdom principle for the whole of life. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but I remember when we were moving to Bedford from the northeast of England, and uh, we were selling a, a five-bedroom house in Newcastle for £150,000 and moving to a town which is about 100 k more to buy a house of less space. And so I, I remember just kind of walking through that challenge and just saying, okay, God, you know, you've you got to help us out here. I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. And I remember we had one of those kind of gift days at the time. You know, gift days rarely come at a good moment financially. I don't know if you've noticed that. They always come at the moment where you don't feel like you've got much spare. Um, and I remember we had 300 pounds in our bank account. And Carol got this word from God. And he simply said, if you give me 300, I'll give you 30,000. Now, there's only one way to test that, which is, you, yeah, you, you take a leap of faith, you gulp kind of hard, and you're like, okay, Lord, this is going to be hilarious giving. And so I remember we, we decided to get right, we're going to give what we have. We're going to live in the present moment. We're not just going to dream of what we want to have, but we're going to do something with the seed that God has given us to sow now. Do you understand that famine is always the result of misused wealth? In other words, we stop sowing what God has given us in the current season. <laughs> famine is always the result of misused wealth it's when we decide I'm going to stop sowing in this season because I don't feel like I've got enough but actually the economy of the kingdom is that you give what you have and God will turn it into more and so I remember we gave our 300 pounds hilariously with a gulp of faith with a few hallelujahs and a bit of a jig to the front of the meeting and then we prayed but you know over the next year and a half we got over 30,000 pounds worth of gifts as God multiplied the little that we had. And that is an, a, a kingdom principle that when we live present, God will turn it into influence. We become a voice in our communities and cities when you just simply keep showing up. You know, I love the story of our own King's Arms project because it says we have been showing up for the least and the last for over 30 years in our community. Do you know that story has massive value in our community? with those that don't know Christ. One of the things that gives us a largest voice in this community is the fact that we just keep showing up, showing up, showing up. Be faithful, be faithful, be present, be present. Give what you have to give. You understand that you don't need to put on great worship music and have a tingly feeling and have a kind of angelic choir singing behind you to actually carry the presence of God. Where you go, he goes with you. 
You go to work tomorrow morning, he walks in with you. You sit at your computer desk, he's right there with you. You start working with your client, he's right there with you. Where you go, he goes. Make the most of every opportunity. I love my friend Manjeet's story of that time where she went to the dentist. I tell you, if the kingdom can show up at the dentist, it can show up anywhere. And uh, she went to the dentist. I was so provoked by this because she's having her teeth done and she's just like, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? What's she doing? She's being faithful where she is. And she felt God say, uh, he's about to go on honeymoon. So she said to her dentist, you're about to go on honeymoon, aren't you? He's like, yeah. And then she felt the Lord say, and he's going somewhere by a beach. She said, you're going somewhere by the beach, aren't you? He's like, yeah. And then she's like, and you just bought a new pair of shoes yesterday and you're really, you're really excited about them. He's like, yeah, how did you know that? And she's like, well, Jesus speaks today. And suddenly the kingdom shows up in the dentist's surgery. How does that happen? You're faithful where God has placed you. You look for the opportunities. You know, I love, I love chatting to Steve Wilson uh, this last Halloween. Well, I loved it and hated it all in the same breath. My, my policy generally for Halloween is shut the curtains, uh, turn off the lights and pretend you're not home. That's my Halloween policy. It has been for 20 years or more. It's worked really, really well. And, um, and then Steve spoils it all by coming and talking to me. He's like, how did you get on at Halloween? I was like, great. No one knocked on the house at all. And he's like, that's not what I mean. I mean, how many people did he get to talk to Jesus about? I was like, none. <laughs> what about you? He's like, yeah. He said, we had loads of kids and families coming to the door and we carved pumpkins and we had stuff to give away and we had opportunities to pray for people. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Help me. <laughs> Help me. How does that happen? Faithful where God has placed you. Be present. Make cheese sandwiches and it will turn into influence. David is about to become the loudest voice, but it starts with faithful. Be faithful and God will honor your faithfulness. Second thing, second lesson from this passage. How do we become a voice and not an echo? Well, you've got to be prophetically alert. David walks into an environment in the Israelite camp where there is incredible fear, doom and gloom. Again, we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll skip the story just for the sake of time. <laughs> David walks into the, into the Israelite camp and they're like, who can defeat this giant? He's massive. They're quaking. They're afraid. No one wants to go and fight him. And yet David says to himself, what is the smallest thing I can kill this guy with? In other words, David is listening to a different story than everybody else. And if you want to become a voice, not an echo into your culture, you've got to learn to live and think outside of the corporate mood that you're currently living in. Do you understand that there is a corporate mood in the nation? There is a corporate mood in your workplace. There is a corporate mood in your family. There is a corporate mood in the person you're sitting next to. In other words, it's easy to start thinking, living, speaking, prophesying, working out of reaction to a corporate mood rather than what is God saying. David easily could have come under the corporate mood of pessimism and doom and gloom. And gosh, isn't it hard? Isn't that giant big? Look at his weapons. Look at his armor. Oh my gosh, how are we going to defeat this guy? You know, what are we going to do about Brexit? What, what about North Korea? What about nuclear weapons? What about knife crime on the streets of London? What about kind of the rising kind of lack of morality in our nation? These are massive giants. What are we going to do about family breakdown? What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And suddenly you're living and speaking and reacting to a corporate mood. 
But here's the real question. Not, is, not what is the enemy doing, but what is the father doing? What is the father doing? David had his head in a completely different stratosphere to everybody else. While everyone else's eyes were on their bootlaces, his eyes were on the father. And he was saying, Father, what are you doing? You understand that you've not joined the enemy's story. You've joined God's story. Which story have you got running through your head? Is it the enemy's narrative or is it God's narrative? God's story. This, of course, is the way that Jesus lived. John 5, 19, this is what he said. He said, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. (laughs) He says that in the context of talking to Pharisees who are nitpicking about Sabbath rules. And he's like, guys, I'm not really interested in that. I only do what I see my father doing. On another occasion, his disciples come to him and they're just concerned that he's missed his lunch. He's just talked to a woman at the well and they're like, Rabbi, eat something, eat something. And he's like, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. They're thinking about lunch. He's thinking about the father. How do you become a voice? Get more preoccupied with what the father is saying. Get more preoccupied with the narrative that's coming out of heaven. Father, what are you doing and how can I do that? What's the narrative that's coming from heavenly places? Ephesians 1.11 says that God is working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Even in the most pressurized of moments, you can still live as a reflection of heaven rather than a reaction to earth. Oh, that was a good point. That made me happy. Um, just, just a couple of things on this. Again, we won't go into this in any detail. I think two things, just to be aware of what the Father is saying to us in this season. Number one, cultural transformation. Do you understand that we gather to scatter? The reason we exist here is so that we can be salt and light there. In other words, the holiest moment is when we leave the meeting. This is beautiful. What's even more beautiful is when the feet of those who carry good news carry that beauty into our workplaces, our families, our places of influence. What is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Let's go to our last point. How do you become a voice and not an echo? Have a victorious mindset. You know the end of the story. Uh, David runs into battle. He uh, says to Saul, I can't wear your armor. I'm just going to do it my own way. He goes into the brook. He picks up five stones and he charges to the battle and he smites the giant down in a beautiful moment of victory. And I want to suggest to you that the story of David and Goliath, typically it's read as an underdog story. Here's my question. Who's the real underdog? (laughs) Is it the shepherd boy? Or the giant? I would suggest to you that the real underdog in this story is the giant. Because David has been perfectly equipped to win this particular battle. A man called Malcolm Gladwell says about this passage, he uh, surmises that this giant, Goliath, may have suffered from a condition called giantism. Which is basically excessive hormone levels where your body just keeps growing and never stops growing. If any of you have seen, anyone seen The Princess Bride? Possibly one of the best movies ever made in the history of movies. Andre the Giant had giantism. Okay, he's a guy that just kept growing, kept growing, kept growing. One of the uh, side effects of giantism is incredibly poor eyesight, 
which may be the reason why giant, why Goliath was led into the valley by his attendant, because maybe his eyesight wasn't so good. What we know also about this giant is that he was a hand-to-hand soldier. Now, in uh, kind of the, the time of David, there were three different wings of military action. You had hand-to-hand combat, you had cavalry and camels, and then you had the slingers. So the guys who would throw stones and fire arrows. Those are the three different divisions in any typical army. I think Goliath was expecting a hand-to-hand soldier, and instead he got a slinger. He got a guy coming at him, not with a sword, but with a sling and a stone. Add to that, the stones that are found in the Valley of Elah are known to be five to eight times more dense than any other stone on the face of the planet. So when David goes and picks up his stones, he's not picking up pebbles from Brighton Beach. He's picking up massive great rocks that could literally break a bone in a heartbeat. I think the only reason he picked up five is that that's all he could carry because they were so heavy. And so David rushes into battle with these five massive stones against the giant. Here's the other thing about the sling and the stone. When you fired a stone from a, a sling, it was pretty much equivalent to firing a bullet from a gun. It went at that speed. And it took a lot longer to train to be a slinger than an archer because it was a lot more skilled. And most young Mediterranean boys would often get a sling from their father as one of the first gifts that they ever got. And their fathers would teach them how to use this sling. And the way they would do it is they would put a spear in the ground, they'd put a bit of bread on the tip of the spear, and then they would teach their sons to knock the bread off the top of the spear with the stone from a long distance away. And the idea was, until you learn to do it, you weren't allowed in for dinner. So in other words, these guys were incredibly trained. Now, take into, effect, take into account that David had killed lions and bears. You ever thought how difficult it must be to kill a lion? I mean, I've seen lions at feeding time. It's going to be difficult to kill a lion. And yet this was David's track record. He had killed lions and bears. And as he rushes into this battle with a giant, he understands, I am equipped to win. I've got what it takes. God has set me up for success here. I'm not running into a battle that I cannot win. I'm running into a battle that I was born to win. And I'll suggest to you, if you are going to be a voice and not an echo, you've got to have a victorious mindset and understand the giants you're facing are the very giants that God has equipped you to topple. (laughs) I hope that you don't expect, expect a life with no giants. You were born to overcome giants. You may say, God, why is it always so difficult? Because God leads you into difficulty to become an overcomer. He's given you what you need to win. God has called you to be a voice, not an echo. Guys, those are just three brief thoughts from the story of David. And I'd just love us to stand as we finish our time together this morning. That was like preaching on speed. That was like, (laughs) I need to lie down after that. Why don't you just, uh, just open your hands to the Lord where you are. I just want to really quickly pray for you. Then we're going to release parents to go and get our kids. Father, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this just pit stop of being able to be with you, draw aside, fix our eyes again on the mercy of Jesus. And Lord, I want to thank you that this community is called to be a voice, not an echo. 
And I just want to, I want to pray and bless you this week as you go to your workplaces, as you go into your families. I pray that you would be fruitful, that you'd multiply, that you'd carry the kingdom wherever you go, that you'd make the most of every opportunity that God gives you, that you would make cheese sandwiches to the glory of God and then just watch him turn it into kingdom influence. Father, we pray, let your kingdom come and let it keep coming in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much.